Hey, it's your host, Charlotte Chipperfield, and welcome to the Holistic Marketing Podcast, the show that inspires you to think holistically about yourself, your business, and your marketing to ignite the impact you desire to have on the world. We'll learn what it takes to be seen and heard in the digital space from leading experts and myself as a marketing executive and the former founder of Chipperfield Media. Get ready to own your marketing by exploring the intersection of purpose and proactive marketing to move your business forward. Welcome to the Holistic Marketing Podcast. Today, I have two guests joining me. They are the co-founders of the SAF app, Sharzad and Yalda. The SAF app is a concierge service that allows us to never wait in line again. How amazing, right? SAF meaning Q in Farsi, honors the founder's Iranian heritage. And in full disclosure, I am very lucky to call these two women friends, but we have also worked together professionally, um, consulting on branding and marketing pieces. I invited Charzad and Yalda here today to discuss what it takes to build a startup, the importance of knowing your audience, and being flexible to pivot during a pandemic. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Hello. So excited to have this conversation with you today, but before we dive into the nuts and bolts of the startup world, I'd love maybe for each of you just to take a moment to introduce yourselves. Absolutely. This is Yalda. I can go first. Um, I actually started my career in graphic design. I went to art school and I wanted to be a creative director. I had the um, great fortune to work for companies such as Disney Consumer Products, Abercrombie & Fitch, um, Sephora, Men's Warehouse, a lot of household names that people know. And I got to really understand kind of the mechanics and psychology of um, marketing to consumers and building products that they love, um, all which kind of led me to um, a hardware startup that I co-founded several years ago. Um, which really kind of wet my whistle for entrepreneurship. Eventually, I was um, I was onboarded by Amazon and helped them build their brick and mortar stores and bridged my uh, experience in tech and retail. Um, and after that venture, it led me to where we are today, which is with my amazing co-founder Sharzad and being a co-founder of SAF, which is a whole new ball game of software technology. So I'm Sharzad. Um, I have a little bit more of a windy um, path. I grew up with a family of entrepreneurs. Um, uh, I'm a first-generation Iranian-American, and pretty much everyone in my family is an entrepreneur. Um, so we you know, gr- grew up talking shop all the time at the dinner table. Um, so I got my undergrad in business and marketing, Um, and straight out of college, I started working for a marketing uh, firm and I, um, learned the ropes of SEO and, um, online marketing. Um, during that time, I just decided that I wanted to go to law school. And after I took my LSATs and applied to, uh, law schools, I realized that that's not really what I want to do. So I, um, started kind of doing some more exploration and ended up getting my master's degree in acupuncture and oriental medicine, which I um, practiced for about 10 years. Um, During that time, I also had two kids um, and my hours at my acupuncture practice um, reduced just because I was at home with 
two little ones. And that's when the entrepreneurial bug kind of set back in. Um, and I, everything that I came across that I saw that there was a problem, I was always trying to figure out an idea of how to fix it or what's the solution for that problem. And, um, the, um, biggest one that kept on recurring for me, especially as a mom of two was wasting time waiting in lines. And so, um, Yalda had posted on Instagram and I, she'll, she'll tell you a little bit more about that story, but, um, about the problem that she was experiencing as well. And, um, that was, I was like, that's, that's, this is the idea. This is, this is what we need to, you know, go after. And so now, now I'm back. Now I'm back in the entrepreneurial world. (laughs) Yeah. I love you guys have such amazing backgrounds and very like solution oriented, which I think is so critical for an entrepreneur that's creating something brand new that we've never seen before. And, you know, in the world of startups, I think there's always this kind of conundrum of like, do I get a co-founder? Do I not get a co-founder? And so I would love for you maybe to talk a little bit about that experience of how you became partners. And, you know, sometimes that can be a make or break experience for startups. Sometimes with co-founders, it can be the thing that ends up breaking the company. So you guys obviously work really well together. And I'd love to see, like, just learn a little bit more about your partnership. And then if you have advice for any founders that are potentially seeking a co-founder. Yeah. Um, Yelda and I, um, we are longtime family friends. Um, and, um, we, uh, grew up together, um, a little bit back, I don't know, like 20 years ago, um, during family get togethers. We, um, whenever we saw each other, it was like a minute, you know, it hadn't been, you know, a minute since we hadn't seen each other. It was like back, you know, to, chatting and, you know, talking all night in a corner somewhere. And, um, it was, it was, you know, a really strong connection. Um, and then years passed, we always kind of kept, you know, tabs on each other, but, um, we, we hadn't talked for a while until she had posted that, um, that famous Instagram post that (laughs) again, we'll, we'll get to soon. Um, and, once we started chatting again, it was like, you know, again, like we hadn't missed a beat. Um, and I think for Yalda and I, the biggest thing is that we are really good at communicating, um, with one another. We are very transparent with one another, um, whether it's in business or personally, like if there's something going on in my life or if something's going on in her life, we are open and honest with one another. Um, and you know, being a co-founder with someone else and having that partnership is like a marriage. So it's really important to cultivate it, to not just talk about work all the time, to do fun things together, to, um, and just, you know, keep it lighthearted, but also, um, making sure those lines of communication are always open. That's really what I think makes Yalda and I a perfect pair. Yeah, I, I do feel like we have a very unique kind of symbiotic relationship. And it, it, it comes naturally to a certain extent, but it's also one that we are intentional about. And we've worked towards it. And it really is just like being in a relationship. 
And I have been in a co-founder situation before and it, it wasn't ideal. And you learn, you learn from every experience that you have on how to improve something. And a founder journey is extremely lonely, right? Like you have this idea, no one's heard about it before, no one's talked about it before. That in itself is an isolation, right? So to have someone in a journey that already is aligned with your vision and then you work towards really making sure that your values are also aligned and that your goals are also aligned and the communication is there, that's what helps build the foundation of a co-founder relationship. And for us, I think what we value most in one another is if one, if one of us is not able to be there to do something or we feel like we don't have the strength or the expertise in something that needs to be done, the other one typically has it. So we fill gaps for each other and we support each other emotionally um, as we come across challenges and steering and navigating this whole new world. And that's where I really think a co-founder, a solid, healthy co-founder relationship is actually valuable because you're not a single point of failure. You have, if something goes wrong or if you're sick or if you have a problem to solve, you already have someone to lean on that is aligned with you. Right. Yeah, that's such great advice. And I think, like you said, it is like a marriage. In fact, I think it might be even more legally binding than a marriage. But <laughs> having that, you know, set on a common sense of values and being very open and honest and communicative, because like you said, that founder journey can be so lonely. And with that comes a roller coaster of emotions. And even with co-founders, you're still going to experience that. So being able to bounce off ideas and work through those emotions and kind of have those goals in mind, I think is so important along with, again, like that honesty you mentioned. Definitely. So let's talk about the famous Instagram post of how the SAF app came to be. Oh gosh, it's definitely one that comes up quite frequently. Um, so I was just wrapping up with my tenure at Amazon and I was living in Seattle. I, I have historically really enjoyed dining out. Um, I, I enjoy going to brunch. I consider myself a foodie, um, although probably mild, milder in definition compared to some other folks. But that being said, social life is a big part of what I do. Um, and dining out is one of those categories. So I, it was a Saturday morning. Um, I was in Seattle was around 11 a.m. I, I may have had some drinks the night before. <laughs> uh, and I just wanted to go and grab brunch at kind of a popular spot in, in Seattle. So I called the restaurant. It was around 11 a.m. I said, hey, how long's the wait for two people? And the girl on the phone was like, it's two and a half hours. <laughs> and I just, I, I think I had kind of hit my limit at that point of getting that kind of response of, Every time I want to go dine out somewhere, it's 45 minutes, it's an hour, it's an hour and a half, it's two hours. Oh, we're already full. And there's so many places that don't take reservations, rightfully so. Um, you know, this restaurant businesses operate on a small margin as it is, and they don't want no-show tables. Um, but as kind of a busy working individual, and I felt frustrated, so... I just thought to myself in that moment, why can't I hire someone to go and put my name on the wait list while I continue to lay in bed on Saturday? 
or to wait there for me and kind of pretend like they're me and send me an update and let me know, oh, there's a half hour left or something. So I took to social media. I opened my Instagram. I think I had about 500 followers at the time. I am in by no means an influencer. And I posted a story and I said, hey, would anyone ever pay for someone to wait in line for them or put their name on a wait list? And to my surprise, over 70% of my followers responded yes. Um, I quickly became intrigued and I wanted to use my own um, network as kind of a data sounding board. So I started to ask, well, how much would you pay? And more information started to flood in. And one of the people who responded was Sharzad, who was living in Portland. And she was like, oh my gosh, I am a mom of two. Date nights are always a pain point because we hire a babysitter. We go out to the restaurant. By the time we find parking and go get settled in, they tell us there's a wait. And that's two and a half hours of my night already that I've paid a babysitter for and I haven't even gotten to enjoy my meal yet. <laughs> so she want, she's like, can we connect about this? I went down to Portland. We, we had lunch and we started to discuss what this actually was for us, why it was such a pain point. I shared with her that, you know, as I work at Amazon, I I don't have time to leave my desk to go stand in line for 30 minutes to grab a euro from a place that doesn't deliver, for example. Um, every, every minute of my time mattered. And time is money in this day and age. We are constantly looking for ways that we can incorporate convenience into our lives. Um, and so... That, that's where the journey really began. We, we asked ourselves, okay, well, if this is a problem for ourselves, could it be a problem for other people? And that's where we began to scratch at the surface and found that Americans alone waste 37 billion hours waiting in lines each year, which was like, what? <laughs> okay, there's definitely a problem, but where are they wasting that time? And it wasn't just restaurants, it's the DMV, it's product releases, it's sample sales. With the pandemic, we saw Ikea, Costco, grocery stores. It just, the tourist attractions pre-pandemic and now post-pandemic, we really kind of felt like we had um, unlocked a key to, to something that was a problem for a lot of people, but had never really been addressed um, by the consumer before. Yeah, such an amazing story. And I think so many great companies are started from a frustration and finding out that there's, you know, a better way of doing something. And 37 billion hours a year that Americans spend waiting in line is a staggering amount of time. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of time, you know, yeah. where you could be doing something else or you're like mindlessly scrolling social media to try and pass the time. So yeah, that's just obviously a huge market. There are people that need solutions that know there could be a better way. Absolutely. And I think for us, you know, we read this quote recently, which really resonated. You can't give your life more time. So give the time you have left more life. And that at the core is really what we're about when we built this. Like, how can we be in two places at once? How can we help someone be able to stay at their kid's soccer game instead of feeling like they need to rush over to get their DMV stuff taken care of or to be able to get extra snuggles in bed with their partner um, 
and or on their own. You don't have to have a partner to do that. And then just be able to roll up to brunch with your friends. Like it's just why don't we encourage ourselves to maximize our time and really enjoy our lives the way that we want versus spending it on things like wasting time in mine. Yeah, it's removing all those inconveniences. And I love that quote that you shared. I mean, time is really just not a renewable resource. So choosing how we spend it is really important. Absolutely. So part of your story when you were telling that too that I love is that both of you are essentially your ideal customer. And so I'm curious how you went about, you know, obviously there was a sense of curiosity and you were pulling your followers and your community and the people you knew So how did you kind of explore who the ideal user for the app was and how did you approach getting the word out to them? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, During those original brainstorms, of course, developing demographics and customer personas is, is key to identifying who you want to target ideally. But at the end of the day, for, for me, I've, I've been in consumer products for many years. My motto was, if I'm not interested in buying it, then I can't expect someone else to pull out their wallet and get excited about it and purchase it. So for, for me, inherently, I always wanted to build products that had an intrinsic value and that really encouraged excitement elicited excitement out of out of the consumer. So when we sat down, we thought, well, what would we want this experience to be? And if if we enjoy the experience and we're able we're able to communicate that properly to an audience, then we felt like the chances were high that they would um, experience joy or resonate with what the core of the message or the product is as well. And for us, um, we wanted it to be easy to use, affordable, um, and kind of seamless in terms of product user experience from other um, popular apps that most folks have downloaded and use on a day-to-day basis on their phones. Um, And once we had that framework, um, we started to also research what wasn't working, where it was negative feedback in this category. And a lot of what we found in terms of barriers to entry was folks do not want to rely on the business to implement a solution because then you create a market where there is multiple different solutions. Um, Folks do not want to negotiate with someone in terms of how much the value of their time is. And they do not want to wait to make a reservation for someone to do this type of work. We, we live in an on-demand culture at this point. Um, so knowing what doesn't work also helps to understand, um, you know, what, what it is that you're creating. Um, and so that really, knowing what we wanted, knowing what didn't work, helped us create what the product was. And then ultimately that led us to identify who we thought the ideal user would be. Um, And honestly, we couldn't, yes, you narrow down, but it's it's kind of for everybody. We have requests from moms who want this for their kids' ballet recital because, you know, grandma and grandpa can't wait two hours in line to get the good seats um, for that thing, for that event. 
Um, and then we have folks who are like, can I use this at a music festival? Cause my favorite band is playing and I don't want to wait 45 minutes to grab a beer. Like, is there someone in there that can do this for me? Um, all the way to there's a sample sale or a shoe drop. And I need to be the first in line because there's a Chanel bag coming out. Right. <laughs> um, but we, we believe that our, our core demographic is 25 to 35, and we believe that targeting them as they're experiencing the pain is the best way to help them understand that there's a solution for it. So our, our earliest efforts were to meet them as they were experiencing the problem, which was talking to folks who were standing in line waiting to be seated for brunch, establishing a street marketing team in New York who would go to the sample sales that were wrapped around blocks of New York City, hand, um, handing out promo cards to get the word out. And the more research we did in this day and age, we've essentially led ourselves to um, the solution of marketing to our key demographic via social media. I mean, that's really where, where the bucket of water is. Um, people are constantly on their phones they trust the people that they follow. And when we partner with influencers who are relevant to these specific categories, um, we see immediate results in terms of um, excitement, downloads, registrations, word of mouth. Um, and we are able to target our key demographic just by doing that. Yeah, that's so amazing. I feel like that was just like a masterclass on marketing. <laughs> um, <laughs> It really is. I mean, yes, you might start with an ideal customer in mind, but until you kind of get out there and start collecting data is when you really understand like how you can better refine that and tune in like you did to be like social media is what's going to help drive the needle for us when it comes to downloads and inquiring new customers and just getting the word out. And I also love that you were like, we went straight to the pain point and you literally hit the streets and met people waiting in line to get the word out. I mean, nothing is more powerful than when someone is literally experiencing the problem to show up and be like, here you go, I can solve this for you. So, I mean, that's that's amazing that you guys were able to kind of really hone in on that and, and get the word out that way. Yeah, we definitely had folks during those events be like, wait, can you wait for me right now? And we, our street team would be like, yeah, sure. Okay, go get your coffee. No problem. Like, because we want, we really wanted people to experience that relief, that joy, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, like you said, about like shoe drops or like sample sales, like people are so excited and there's almost like this frantic, like frenzy of energy that's happening. And so if you can kind of not like feed into that, but like make people still excited, but also feel confident in that they're going to secure that product they want. I mean, that's huge too, because I think there's that sense of urgency and like you said, an on-demand culture. So knowing that you are going to get something, but maybe you get a little, like, have a little bit of fun along the way is also really cool. Yeah. And I think there's an added layer of, you can see a line and it's either going to evoke frustration or it's going to evoke FOMO. And mm -hmm. with SAF, I feel like we're there to be that solution. So if you're frustrated, you don't have to be. And if you're excited and you're having FOMO and you don't want to miss out, we're also that solution, right? Um, yeah. It's it's just a really fun thing to see people get excited about. 
Yeah. Could you maybe just give like a rundown of how the app works and like how do people connect with people to like wait in line for them? Can you maybe just give a little high overview of how that functions? Yeah, Sharza, do you want to give them an overview? Sure. Um, Yeah, so basically once you're downloaded and registered, um, you can put in the address or the location of where you want to send a line concierge. You put in a time that you want them to show up and how long, and um, what, then you hit request. And then another line, uh, then a line concierge on the other um, end will accept the request and head over to that location at your um, in at your desired time. And the app allows you to chat within within the platform, so you can chat with your line concierge if the line concierge says the line is you know moving a little bit more quickly, you can either, you know, show up a little bit earlier or you can say, hey, actually, no, can you let a few other people in ahead of you? So I'm going to be, you know, running a little late. So um, there's there's a lot of flexibility within the app. You can, um, you know, um, add more time, but it's very straightforward, very much like other, um, you know, on-demand apps that we've, you know, are all currently familiar with. So yeah, I was going to say, it feels a lot like Uber or DoorDash where, you know, you can place an order for a car or for food and then you can track that and you can talk to people. Um, so I love that it's kind of feeding off of that similar pattern that people are now trained to do. Exactly. Exactly. Definitely. I mean, it, it is it is definitely um, a compliment to us when people say, oh, it's like the Uber, but for lines. Thank you. Yes. I'm so glad that you're having such a wonderful experience on another platform and that we've been able to seamlessly recreate that um, for another vertical. Like, I think it's awesome that people understand it and that we've been able to create something that's easy and functional. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, I know you guys started this business a few years ago and, you know, with the pandemic that hit us all (laughs) unexpectedly, I'm curious kind of what the impact of the pandemic was for you and what did you kind of have to do to adjust, to pivot, to kind of evaluate how you were going to move forward under such uncertainty? So um, when we started out, we were in Portland and Portland is a big restaurant and foodie scene. Um, So our app at that time was mostly focused on um, the restaurants. Um, We had a lot of um, just marketing about going out to specific restaurants and putting names down on wait lists. Um, And that was pretty much um, where we started. And obviously once the pandemic hit, restaurants shut down. Um, And that really led us to, you know, scramble because our app was basically a list of, you know, 20 to 40 of the most popular restaurants in Portland where people would select that restaurant and they would send a line concierge there. So that meant that our app was no longer, I mean, it was useless at that point. Um, And unfortunately, we didn't have an in-house CTO at the time to be able to move quickly and change things for us. Um, we were working with an overseas company and um, it, it didn't allow us to be as nimble as we would have liked. So 
we basically had to start from scratch again. Um, we used the time um, while you know everything was shut down to search for a, a CTO, someone to help you know build our app, you know that would be on our team. Um, and in that mean in that time frame, also while we were on a search, we built a no code app um, to kind of bridge the gap, and we had to evaluate where we were going to relaunch. Um, we knew we needed to be somewhere that had a higher density of people, uh, you know, a higher de- uh, density of people, um, a, a more dense city than Portland, um, somewhere where people are kind of more out and about and doing various things rather than just restaurants. And throughout the pandemic, you know, in the New York Times, there were articles about, you know, hours long line at the New Jersey DMV that, you know, hours long lines at COVID testing sites, um, at all sorts of grocery stores. And so New York kept on coming to mind. We always knew that we wanted to, um, be in New York, but we just didn't know that it was going to be so, so, um, you know, that that would be our next move. So we just made the executive decision to, um, relaunch in New York um, rebuild our, you know, rebuild our app to allow for all verticals, um, from the get go and, um, and just start all over there. And it's been, it's been quite a ride the last six months. Um, we, you know, we are learning a lot and growing very quickly. So it's really exciting to see how a, um, event that could have, you know, broken us and caused us to shut down really propelled us um, and helped us find new, um, a new like breath of fresh air and just vibrancy in what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, I have to credit you guys so much for that. I mean, not only was there, you know, a pandemic that set in around us and disrupted our lives, but also to be sitting there looking at your app being like, this is now useless. I mean, that is such a terrifying state for a founder to be in and to be able to then sit with that and go, okay, this is how the world has changed. This is what we've learned so far. And then how do we now create something that's going to help people underneath uncertainty, but also build something for the future. And so I think that's such a testament to your ability to remain curious and to explore again, like what is it that people need where are they having these pain points like the DMV? I mean, I recently had to do that too and had an appointment, didn't think I was going to wait that long, totally waited forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's just, there are so many things that have changed and we are, I'm finding myself like definitely waiting in line more, especially when grocery stores were limiting capacity. And so I thought about you guys a lot (laughs) during those times. Um, But yeah, I mean, really thinking about how you can become almost like leaner and more nimble by bringing a CTO, not working with someone overseas, um, kind of thinking about how do you bridge that gap with the no code app? I mean, all of those things are things that are such big challenges and big decisions to make that can, again, feel so uncertain underneath, you know, the world is changing. So. Oh, yeah. I feel like there's no answers, right? You are, right. Your, your only data point is your gut and you have to really trust your instincts. And one of the things with the pandemic was, and, and I'll be very transparent as I usually am, um, people really did not believe us that long lines or wait times were a problem pre-pandemic. 
But I think the pandemic really shed light for a, a whole category of people who just had never experienced this before. And we did. We did have an opportunity to provide our service um, for folks who didn't want to stand in line at the grocery stores. And of course, there was the election and we um, offered volunteers to stand in line for elections to get folks to the polls. Like any opportunity we had to leave a positive footprint, we, we tried throughout the pandemic. But ultimately, we needed to wait it out. We didn't know. And what we thought was going to be two weeks turned into two months, turned into six months, which we all know how that story is continuing to unfold now. Um, But what we did know, what our gut told us, again, remember we built this product for ourselves, was we knew that we were yearning to get back to our old lives. And what that meant was in combination with the pandemic, that as we started to emerge as a public back into social life, that these wait times and long lines weren't going to go away, but the the increase for demand for um, so social life um, and just being out and about was going to increase, if not more than ever. And we had to make a judgment. We had to make a decision and say, okay, New York's opening back up. They're on the other side of the coast. Can we do this? Can we figure it out and and be there for New Yorkers as they are reemerging back into normal, what is now normal day life? And we're so thankful. Anyone who's from New York who's possibly listening to this, we're so thankful for the warm welcome and for the embrace of the service that we're providing because everyone's just so excited and they see the value and talk about right place, right time and just being patient and that that was that was the pandemic for us. It was a blessing, quite honestly. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a blessing in patience and <laughs> being able to be open to pivoting and just kind of reassessing where people are. And like you said, coming back to that core element of like you are the customer and this problem still exists. And maybe the way you talk about it and how it was applied before is a little bit different to you know how people are reemerging out of this pandemic. And I know that you mentioned the shift from focusing on Portland, where you're both based, to New York. So I'm curious, how is that trying to you know, manage launching into a new market that you are literally on the other side of the country from in a time where travel maybe wasn't as easy at the time? I mean, <laughs> I don't recommend it for the faint-hearted. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's a different time zone, you know, trying to manage requests that are, you know, coming in at 6 a.m. is 3 a.m. in Portland, you know, it's, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. Well, um, so this is, you're hearing like a nervous laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, if we were to do it again, I'm not sure we would have gone east coast with the time zone change um but there really was no better well i shouldn't say that there new york was truly what felt right in our hearts and in our guts um and it's come with its own really interesting journey of identifying interns who are in the area and bringing on team members and managing, um, you know, meetings, weekly meetings um, via Zoom life, which is what we're all now accustomed to. And 
um, scheduling for clients and concierges. And honestly, at least once a day, I think to myself, I have no idea how we are operating, you know, these thousands of individuals on the completely other opposite side of the coast from where we are. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a doozy. I'm not going to lie, but it's fun. You figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Figure it out. Mindset is key. And yeah, I think it also probably helps a little bit that we all have shifted into this digital world where most of us are still working, you know, remotely on Zoom or, you know, connecting with people that way. So, I mean, there's a lot of new technology that's come out that way too. And I think, again, like you said, people that maybe weren't aware of waiting in line as much prior are now more aware of that. I think the same way of, you know, how we can manage more remotely is also just becoming more commonplace, which, you know, I find a lot of benefits in that too. But when there is a time difference involved, that can make it even more challenging for sure. Absolutely. I guess for any other like founders who are thinking about creating an app, do you have any advice there on like where to get started or any things to be thinking about as they embark on that venture? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just think learn and be curious is such an asset to anyone who wants to enter or embark on this entrepreneurial journey. Um, I, I came from tech, I came from hardware, I came from consumer products. I knew nothing about software. Um, and I, I mean, yes, I understand software, but I knew nothing about app development and software and marketing in that respect. Um, so it was a learning curve for me. But again, going back to learn and be curious, be flexible, um, read, read a ton. Like Charzad and I just are constantly researching. We're constantly reading articles. We're constantly meeting with folks, asking for feedback. Um, We did a lot of programs throughout this journey and we were uh, introduced to a lot of different advisors and mentors. Um, Honestly, I think one of our biggest learnings was in the, in the early days when we partnered with an agency, we fully relied on the agency to be the experts within the technology domain um, and what we've learned the most and kind of the hard way was that we need to be experts on the technology as co-founders and we need to read and understand what a product manager's role is and how to actually manage a CTO, for example, or ask the right questions about what platforms these things are being built on. Why are we experiencing this bug? Um, there's still there's still a lot under the hood for us to learn, um, but if as long as you're curious and you're open to learning, um, then you'll be successful because you're you want to become a sponge and you absorb the information and um, you can lean on the experts to help provide guidance. But you at least are coming from a point in which you're also educated. Yeah, I think from the from the get go, Yalda and I, we were just meeting with anybody and everybody who you know was introduced to us. Um, We took that time to talk with people, talk about our idea, receive feedback, you know, see where where what the next 
meeting um, led us to what the ne you know the next article. We just exactly what like Yalda said. We were just absorbing everything like sponges, and I think that that's what um, that's that's the key. That's the key is just to be open minded and just ready to learn. Yeah, that's such wonderful advice. I mean, I think that applies to startups and in life in general and being able to just absorb information and take what you need, leave what you don't. And yeah, I think also you talked a lot about, you know, mentors and just talking to people. I think that's such an important part too, because you do sometimes, you know, can get blinders on as a founder being like, this is the goal. This is what we're trying to achieve. And when you can be open-minded and taking that feedback, there's sometimes solutions in there that you're like, Oh, that would be really helpful. Or this would make the product better. And being able to, you know, again, take that feedback, but then also discern what's actionable and what might not be is also really, really important and um, a great reminder there. Absolutely. I'd love for you um, to tell everyone where they can connect with you further. Um, we are uh, on social media at the SAF app. So the SAF app that's our handle so on twitter instagram um and they uh folks can download SAF for clients um on um the apple store or on android or SAF for concierges um if they're interested in kind of seeing how our app works and um learning more about our company and of course, we're on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to look us up and send us a message, we're, we're always happy to, to help in any way that we can. Amazing. Thank you both. I will include all of that in the show notes. And as my last question, I will have maybe both of you answer if you'd like to. Um, but I ask all my guests this about how does being intentional show up in your life or business? Yeah, do you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think from the very beginning, um, Yala and I, when we sat down, um, uh, you know, specifically for this business, thinking about what we want to create and, again, that we wanted to create something that was for ourselves first, um, it, you know, what, you know, what type of company would it be? What kind, what, what are our core values? How um, do we want the, you know, the clients to feel? How do we want the concierges to feel? Um, it was very intentional um, as far as um, being focused and um, making sure that any decision that we made went back to those core values. We always talked about, if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. So we always wanted to make sure that we're having fun. We still make sure we're having fun, um, that we're giving back to the community, that we're doing something um, to make people's lives easier, whether it's the people doing the work or the people requesting the work. Um, it's about maximizing your time, living your life to the fullest. And if it's not, um, you know, falling within those um, values, then, then it's not, that's not the right direction. You know, um, we, we, sh you know, that if that's, if there's a decision at hand, that that's not the path that we want to go down if it's not following within those values. And for, 
both Yalda and I, um, especially me, um, I, I, you know, meditate often. <laughs> um, so that helps me focus not only in my personal life, but in, in business, you, you know, making sure that I'm keeping the eye on the, my eye on the prize. So, um, that's, that's how, that's how we're, you know, keeping ourselves aligned with, um, with that, uh, those core values of our company. Yeah, it's a yeah. beautiful answer. I love the values piece. I think that's so important. And like you said, staying grounded through meditation and, and having fun. It's got to be fun for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think Charzot hit the nail on the head. It's, it really comes back down to are our values aligned? Are our goals aligned? Is our vision aligned? And therefore, that helps guide us in every decision that we make to be intentional to align back with those core core values and goals and meditating every day is hard i mean i i practice tm i learned transcendental meditation and there are months where i'll do it every day twice a day and then there are several weeks that go by that i don't do it at all um but i think we just try to stay grounded we try to remind ourselves like why we're doing this right it's it's really for much bigger goals than than what surrounds Sharzad and I. Um, we, she has two daughters. I have one daughter. Um, we want them to see role models in us as their mothers and that if we can do it, they can do it. And really anyone can. And we're, we're just trying to be really mindful as we build this thing. I, and that's the best that we can do we're just going to have a good time doing it. And if it works out, that's really, that's the greatest joy. That's the greatest um, equalizer that can come out of this. Absolutely. That's a wonderful why too. And staying connected to that is definitely what will keep you through like the tough times and just focused on, yeah, the impact you're looking to have. I just want to thank you both so much for being here and for sharing your startup story. I know these are journeys that are never linear. And I think it's always helpful for other people to listen and just understand that there is a lot happening. And sometimes there are massive challenges like an unpredictable pandemic that can throw us off course. But being able to kind of sit with that, be patient, get curious and pivot in a way that's still very solution oriented is such a powerful story you guys have to share. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your time with us and allowing us to share our journey with your audience. Absolutely. Thank you for your time as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, please subscribe to be the first to know when a new episode is available. And if you really love this episode, please rate and review the podcast so that other conscious business leaders like yourself can join our community of listeners. If you'd like to connect with me further, you'll find me hanging out on LinkedIn at Charlotte Chipperfield. Come join me there or check out charlottechipperfield.com for more resources and to learn more about holistic marketing.